Hello there, and welcome to episode 8 of What You May Have Miffed. I promised you last week that we would be exploring somewhere we have not been yet, and that there would be two shorter tales. Well, that is indeed what is in store for you today. Africa, and I'm very lucky to say that I have, then you will know that everywhere, from Algiers to Cape Town, animals play a huge part in their many varied and diverse cultures. Cheeky monkeys pilfering food off market stalls, wild game for delicious stews, cattle for farming. And then there are such an incredible variety of animals that live there. Lions, kudu, baboons, gazelle, buffalo, zebra, gnu, crocodiles, jackals, leopards, gorillas, hyena, tortoises and donkeys. So it stands to reason that a lot of the folklore and mythology from Africa revolves around animals. And that is the theme of today's shorter episode. Two tales from Africa regarding animals. They are very different stories, but entertaining nonetheless, so I do hope you enjoy both of them. 1. The Tortoise with a Pretty Daughter There was once a king who was very powerful and had great influence over all the wild beasts and animals. It was at this time that the tortoise was looked upon as the wisest of all beasts and men. The king had a son named Ekpenyan, to whom he gave fifty young girls as wives but the prince did not like any of them. How rude of him. The king was very angry at this, and so made a law that if any man had a daughter who was finer than the prince's wives, and who found favour in his son's eyes, the girl herself and her father and mother should be killed. I don't know what it is with kings and jealousy, but it's a bit of a recurring theme through mythology, isn't it? Around the time the king was making this horrible law, the tortoise's wife gave birth to a very beautiful daughter. The mother thought it was not safe to keep such a fine child, as the prince might fall in love with her, so she told her husband that her daughter ought to be killed and thrown away into the bush. How kind of her. The tortoise, not being a crazy person, was unwilling and hid her until she was thirteen years old. One day, when both the tortoise and his wife were away on their farm, the king's son happened to be hunting near their house and saw a bird perched on the top of the fence round the house. The bird was watching the daughter, who had by now grown into a beautiful woman. The bird was so entranced with her beauty that he did not notice the prince coming. The prince shot the bird with his bow and arrow and it dropped inside the fence, so the prince sent his servant to gather it. While the servant was looking for the bird, he came across the daughter and was so struck with her form that he immediately returned to his master 
and told him what he had seen. The prince then broke down the fence, found her, and at once fell in love with her. He stayed and talked with her for a long time until she consented to become his wife. How romantic! He then went home, but concealed from his father the fact that he had fallen in love with the beautiful daughter of the tortoise. But the next morning he sent for the treasurer and got sixty pieces of cloth and three hundred rods, the local currency, and sent them to the tortoise. Then, early in the afternoon, he went down to the tortoise's house and told him that he wished to marry his daughter. The tortoise saw at once that what he had dreaded had come to pass and that his life was in danger, so he told the prince that if the king knew, he would kill not only himself, but also his wife and daughter. The prince replied that he would be killed himself before he allowed the tortoise and his wife and daughter to be killed. Eventually, after much argument, the tortoise consented and agreed to hand his daughter to the prince as his wife when she arrived at the proper age. Then the prince went home and told his mother what he had done. She was in great distress at the thought that she would lose her son, as she was very proud of him, and as she knew that when the king heard of his son's disobedience, he would kill him. However, the queen, although she knew how angry her husband would be, wanted her son to marry the girl he had fallen in love with. So she went to the tortoise and gave him some money, clothes, yams and palm oil as further dowry on her son's behalf in order that the tortoise should not give his daughter to another man. For the next five years, the prince was constantly with the tortoise's daughter, whose name was Adette. And when she was about to be put into the fatting house, the prince told his father that he was going to take Adette as his wife. A small side note here. The fatting house is exactly what it sounds like. Fatness is looked upon as a great beauty by the Ethic people, and the fatting house is a room where a girl is kept for some weeks previous to her marriage, where she is given plenty of food and made as fat as possible. On hearing this, the king was very angry and sent word all around his kingdom that all people should come on a certain day to the marketplace to hear this palaver. When the anointed day arrived, the marketplace was quite full of people, and the stones belonging to the king and queen were placed in the middle of the market. When the king and queen arrived, all the people stood up and greeted them, and they then sat down on their stones. The king then told his attendants to bring the girl Adette before him. When she arrived, the king was floored at her beauty. He then told the people that he had sent for them to tell them that he was angry with his son for disobeying him and taking Adette as his wife without his knowledge. But now that he had seen her for himself, he had to acknowledge that she was very beautiful and that his son had made a good choice. He would therefore forgive his son. A bit hypocritical, but a relief for the prince nonetheless. When the people saw the girl, they agreed that she was very fine and quite worthy of being the prince's wife, and begged the king to cancel the law he had made altogether. And the king agreed, 
and as the law had been made under Egbo law, he sent for eight Egbos, the head man of each area of the kingdom, and told them that the order was cancelled throughout his land, and that for the future no one would be killed who had a daughter more beautiful than the prince's wives. He gave the Egbos palm wine and money to remove the law, and sent them on their way. Then he declared that the tortoise's daughter, Adet, should marry his son, and they did indeed, that same day. A great feast was then given which lasted for fifty days, and the king killed five cows and gave all the people plenty of fufu, boiled and mashed yams, and palm oil chop. He placed a large number of pots of palm wine in the streets for the people to drink as they liked, which they did in great quantity. The women brought a big play to the king's compound, and there the singing and dancing was kept up day and night during the whole wedding. The prince and his companions also played music in the market square. When the feast was over, the king gave half of his kingdom to the tortoise to rule over, and three hundred slaves to work on his farm. The prince also gave his father-in-law two hundred women and one hundred girls to work for him, and so the tortoise became one of the richest men in all the kingdom. The prince and his wife lived together for the rest of their days, and all this shows that the tortoise is the wisest of all men and animals. 2. The Monkey's Fiddle Hunger and want forced Monkey one day to abandon his land and seek elsewhere among strangers for some much-needed work. Bulbs, earth beans, scorpions, insects and such things were completely exhausted in his own land. But, fortunately, he received, for the time being, shelter with a great-uncle of his, Orang-Utang, who lived in another part of the country. When he had worked for quite a while, he wanted to return home, and as recompense his great-uncle gave him a fiddle and a bow and arrow. He told him that with the bow and arrow he could hit and kill anything he desired, and with the fiddle he could force anything to dance. Some remarkable gifts, I think you'll agree. Upon his return to his own land, the first person he met was Br'er Wolf, this old fellow told him all the news, and also that he had been, since early morning, attempting to stalk a deer, but to no avail. Then Monkey laid before him all the wonders of the bow and arrow that he carried on his back, and assured him if he could but see the deer, he would bring it down for him. When Wolf showed him the deer, Monkey was ready, and felled the deer with one arrow. They made a good meal together, but instead of Wolf being thankful, he was jealous and, overmastering Monkey, he begged for the bow and arrow. When Monkey refused to give it to him, Wolf began to threaten him with his greater strength. When Jackal passed by, Wolf told him that Monkey had stolen his bow and arrow, but Jackal was not a halfwit, and after Jackal had heard them both, he declared himself unqualified to settle the case alone and he proposed that they bring the matter to the court of lion, leopard, and the other animals. In the meantime, he declared he would take possession of what had been the cause of their quarrel, so that it would be safe. But he immediately brought to earth 
all that was eatable, and sadly, there was a long time of slaughter before Monkey and Wolf agreed to have the affair in court. Monkey's evidence was weak, and to make things worse, Jackal's testimony was against him. Jackal thought that in this way it would be easier to obtain the bow and arrow from Wolf for himself. Sneaky beastie. And so the sentence fell against Monkey. Theft was looked upon as a great wrong. He must hang. The fiddle was still at his side, however, and he received, as a last favour from the court, the right to play a tune on it. He was a master fiddle player of his time, and in addition to this came the wonderful power of his charmed fiddle. Thus, when he struck the first note of cock-crow upon it, the court began at once to show an unusual and spontaneous liveliness, and before he came to the first waltzing turn of the old tune, the whole court was dancing like a whirlwind. Over and over, quicker and quicker, sounded the tune of cock-crow on the charmed fiddle, until some of the dancers, exhausted, fell down, although still keeping their feet in motion. But Monkey, musician as he was, heard and saw nothing of what happened around him. With his head placed lovingly against the instrument and his eyes half-closed, he played on, keeping time with his ever-tapping foot. Wolf was the first to cry out in pleading tones, breathlessly, Please stop, Cousin Monkey, for love's sake, please stop. But Monkey did not even hear him. Over and over sounded the resistless waltz of cockcrow. After a while, Lion showed signs of fatigue, and when he had gone the round once more with his young lion wife, he growled as he passed Monkey, My whole kingdom is yours, ape, if you just stop playing. I do not want it, answered Monkey, but withdraw the sentence and give me my bow and arrow, and you, wolf, Acknowledge that you stole it from me. I acknowledge, I acknowledge, cried Wolf, while Lion cried at the same instant that he withdrew the sentence. Monkey gave them just a few more turns of the cock-crow, gathered up his bow and arrow, and seated himself high up in the nearest camel-thorn tree. The court and other animals were so afraid that he might begin again that they hastily disbanded to new parts of the world. Monkeys, eh? What did you make of those two tales? There are so many wonderful stories regarding African animals that I feel confident that we will be journeying back to that vast continent before long. Sadly, though, we are getting towards the end of this first series, so for the finale, I have an epic planned. I have you may have noticed, not done any myths on one country in particular that is so steeped in mythology that it's remarkable we've made it this far without visiting it. Do you know where I'm talking about yet? Well, I won't tell you just yet, but I will tell you this. The finale of this first series is a two-parter. It's quite simple. Part one will be next week and part two the week after. It is a story that is, quite possibly, my favourite legend of all time and is also too large to condense into one half-hour slot. 
It's an epic that I feel sure you will have heard of, even if it's just been in passing. I can't wait for you to listen to what I have in store for you next week. In the meantime, if you feel compelled to get in touch, then you can always email me at themythspodcast at gmail.com or tweet me on at mythedpodcast. For now, I shall bid you farewell and see you next week for another episode of What You May Have Mythed. Thank you.